Hello, hello. In this episode, how can reusable packaging help to reduce plastic waste? How could a system look like in which we buy, for example, our lentils, our yogurts and coffee in reusable glass jars and return them to be used again and again and again? What are examples of large-scale reusable systems that are already successful today, right now? You will hear this and much more from Kirill Yegorov, the co-founder and lead link of Circulution, a system development company dedicated to building a system of reusable packaging scalable to all food segments, starting in Germany. Previously, Kirill worked in retail and developed new products for consumer goods companies such as Johnson & Johnson, Hochland and Nestle. He also helped Mitte, a startup developing a water purification and remineralization device to make their product circular. This interview got me excited to learn more about reusable solutions for our packaging problems and I hope it will inspire you as well. This is the sixth episode within a whole season that we designed for you to get a fantastic overview of the sustainable packaging space. To get an introduction to the topic, definitely consider checking out the earlier episodes as well. Let's jump right in. You're listening to season two on plastic alternatives. Let's move the food industry from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green. For resources and to get involved, visit redtogreen.solutions. And I'm your host, Marina Schmidt. Kirill, it's awesome to have you on Red to Green. I'm very much looking forward to Marina. Thank you. Great to be yes. here. So can you fill us in on what your mission is? Okay. Our mission is, first of all, trying to answer the question, how to reduce waste. And uh, that is, of course, a very uh, big problem, as we all know, and there are lots of uh, levers that we need to pull. Our contribution is building a system of reusable packaging that is scalable to all food segments. And that's really quite important. Our focus is on reuse. Uh, a lot of uh, organizations look into other levers, and uh, that's also okay, but then they kind of deprioritize reuse because it's so complex. And we're really focused, and that's uh, bearing fruits, if you will. We're here in Germany, and today already, when a consumer goes to a supermarket, she can buy a bottle of water or a bottle of beer and pay a deposit and then uh, return it. So in the future, uh, there will be reusable packaging alternatives for all food segments uh, in the supermarket, uh, be it sliced cheese or coffee or tea or rice, you name it. And this is what we're working on. Yeah, so that's the vision. And that is a vision that for quite a few people can sound very futuristic. What would you respond to that? Is it so far into the future? Is it something that we can actually realize soon? Yeah, so it, it is definitely a very complex vision because Building the system involves basically several industries. It involves not only building packaging down the line, it's also about washing, it's about consumer participation, of course. So it is very complex. However, what we know very confidently by now, and I think a lot of uh, people in the industry actually also do know, that all the hurdles that are waiting for us can be overcome. Technical solutions are already out there. There are lots of uh, very powerful, very inspiring pilots in the market. There is definitely a readiness in the industry to invest and to innovate. 
uh, and to do so together. And this is really what it will take. It will take an uh, industry-wide effort and collaborative effort to bring the system to life. And again, last but definitely not least, in Germany, there are enough consumers who are very much uh, looking forward to and waiting for reusable alternatives. You know, both studies uh, say that, but also just talking to people. Well, because here, you know, there is such a rich and long tradition of reusable packaging in this country. And there is a very big scale system. People know how it works and they understand why it is good and it needs to be done. And yeah, they're ready. Can you explore that a bit further? How has the reusable system already been used in countries like Germany? Yeah. So first and foremost, of course, is that here in Germany, we have a scaled uh, system of reusable uh, bottles for drinks such as uh, water and beer. And it is really the biggest system in the world. When you as a consumer go to a supermarket, you uh, buy a bottle. This bottle has a sign so that you know, in the ideal case, that this bottle is returnable. You then pay for the product, you pay a deposit, you use the bottle at home or on the go. Usually you, you, you store those bottles for a while in your kitchen or cellar, and at some point uh, you return them. And this system has emerged historically, which is also quite interesting because historically there have been a lot more of those uh, systems around the world, right? Like, so it's, it's not a coincidence that in circle economy, sometimes you, you call it the return of the milkman, right? Those systems existed in America, even in the former Soviet Union, by the way, right? Like it was there. But then with time, with advent of single-use packaging, with lots of optimization, lots of lobbying, <laughs> a lot of them disappeared around the world. But, but in Germany, this investment continued. And right now, there are billions of uh, bottles in circulation. It is a very efficient system. By and large, of course, there are lots of issues and potential for optimization and so on and so forth. But by and large, it's a very efficient system. 98% of uh, bottles are returned, which is incredible. Mm. Right? And it has to do with the awareness, with the deposit that is set. It has to do with the fact that consumers see uh, those bottles as money, not as waste, and they return it back. And another another reason why the system is so efficient is what we call uh, here the Pfandsammler uh, community. Pfandsammler, a very uh, interesting German word. So it's basically deposit collectors, if you would translate it uh, literally. And uh, those are people from you know disadvantaged backgrounds, such as homeless or uh, unemployed who go around uh, the city, they collect those uh, bottles and they bring them back and they pocket the deposit. And that's, for them, it's a very important source of living. And for us as a society, it's a very important uh, way to keep this humongous system effective. Mm. Yeah, and something that we need to actually address because the majority of our listeners is not from Germany, but we have listeners in 36 countries all over the world. Uh-huh. So we have a specific system in Germany where the glasses get returned within a machine. Can you describe that? Yes, of course. Back in the day when the system was being scaled, I was working in retail. And the first step was that you would go to the register and return it. And we would have to collect them and put in bags, 
basically. And then those bags would go to the warehouse. And then from there, they would go back to distributors. They would go to water producers and beer producers to get washed and refilled. But what happened then uh, was that uh, retail invested in so-called reverse vending machines. Today, when you go to a classical supermarket, to a, a discounter, or to a big box uh, supermarket, there would be a machine standing somewhere close to the entrance. You stand in front of the machine, you, you push a bottle by bottle into an opening, and the, the machine scans them and counts them, and then it gives you uh, a little bill and a little piece of paper uh, with a code on it, and the deposit for the return bottles gets deducted from your purchase. Or if you're not buying anything, they will just pay, pay it out to you. So you mentioned twice that there have been some issues, for example, introducing the reusable systems for the beverages and also for the yogurt. It is never a completely smooth process. What no. are problems that tend to appear or have appeared previously? Okay, so no, it can't be because it's just so big and it has grown over time, right? So despite that efficiencies, some of the problems are around the fact that there is quite a lot of variation, which, which on the one hand is good because it allows uh, different types of products and different types of um, you know, companies to participate. But on the other hand, it, it can also be kind of confusing to consumers. There are different sizes of deposits. There are different uh, labels for some of the packaging at the moment. Unfortunately, a lot of the consumers do not know that it's actually reusable, so they don't return it. Yeah. But that's something that the community is also very strongly working on. There are ways to strengthen the communication. Yeah, but at least in Germany, there's a lot of regulation on that front. And do you see that these big system changes towards reusables necessarily are based on regulation changes? I wouldn't say that they should be based on regulation uh, changes. So one of the principles that we are uh, working with and propagating is bottom-up. And that means for us that we as an industry and consumers and society at the end of the day, we need to build that system before it gets regulated. And, and in general, you know, I think that's also how politics sees it. They do not and cannot regulate something into the future. They only regulate developments that are already more mature and ready to scale. In terms of regulation, what we need to achieve is uh, a level playing field between reusable packaging and single-use packaging. At the moment, it's not really a fair game for many different reasons. And one of them, of course, is that the externalities of single-use packaging that doesn't get recycled very well, it, it makes it harder than for uh, reuse, which is in the beginning especially requires a lot of investment to compete. And now, next year, uh, there will be regulation coming for, for takeaways, which is also very important, right? Because right now, at, under shutdown, we see how much garbage there, <laughs> there is. So there will be also regulatory work around that, but I think it will come a bit later. So let's look a little bit at what you're specifically attempting and what you're doing, actually, what you're creating. Can you um, describe the business model behind Circulution and what you're planning to do? We have in the past year, in the foundation year, developed and prototyped a so-called uh, modular packaging concept. And this concept allows us to scale the system of packaging that can be used for different product categories. At a quick conceptual level, 
several iterations and developed a concept that is basically about three things. The first thing is modularity. So a lot can be solved through design. For example, we have different primary packaging modules. This is really an industry term for the nerds. For example, there is a can and a jar. And uh, the jar is long uh, and the can is smaller. And if you put one can on top of another, it is as tall as this one jar. This is one way to define modularity. And one of the things that uh, modularity allows is to optimize, for example, logistics of empties. Now, the, the second thing, the interesting thing about this concept is that it is holistic. It has been developed for the modern supply chain. So it's based on Euro pallets and shelf trays and so on and so forth, which allows it to be scaled essentially in those uh, big supply chains, right? And the third thing about that concept is an approach to standardization, which doesn't say that we need to standardize everything, which was kind of the mantra of the past, but to standardize elements that are necessary for optimizing the system and leaving as many elements as possible open for differentiation. So those are the three USPs, if you will, uh, of the concept. And if there is interest to learn more, it's, of course, much easier to explain and comprehend when you see it. So, you know, reach out and we can share. What we will then do as of next year is go into implementation, and that is opening up development to a broader uh, spectrum of partners. We are involving different industry partners who basically chip in to co-create the system, to be able to share their requirements, to shape the future system early on, and to benefit from it early on. So that's in short and more detail uh, than offline for whoever is interested. Okay. Let's try to maybe cast a very concrete vision of how a reusable system would look like from the perspective of the consumer. So yeah. let's imagine we are going to the supermarket together mm -hmm. and within the supermarket, there is a reusable system set up. How would it look like? Would there be companies using the same jars? Oh, would I have one. to give yeah. it back? How yeah. would it look like for me as a consumer? Okay, good. In the future, when you as a consumer go uh, to a supermarket, you will find reusable packaging alternatives in different product categories. The first important thing is that it is not about substituting single-use recyclable packaging. It's about offering an alternative. Our goal is, as we say in German, Mehrweg, wo Sinn macht, nicht Mehrweg über alles. Really, reusable packaging is beneficial. Those categories will come to the market in stages. So again, here starting from easy to complex. In order to imagine an easier product category, you as a consumer, having bought already a bottle of water in, in, in a glass bottle, will then move to an aisle where coffee is sold or uh, powders such as you know cacao are sold. And there today you see a bunch of different uh, packaging options. There are square, there are, there are some multi-layered packaging, There are some cans as well. It's, they're all kind of also hard to recycle, and there are no reusable alternatives besides in some very, very small cases, but you, you can't find them at big supermarkets. So here you buy a can of uh, coffee, you bring it home, you use your coffee, and then bring it back to the supermarkets. That's the first and most basic return option. The way it works today with bottles 
you would then return it through the reverse sending machine at the supermarket. So one of the key design criteria for packaging is that they need to fit uh, with those machines. In the future, a somewhat longer term future, there will also be other return options. In, in some ways, this first stages of it are very uh, similar to what we have today in Germany with water and beer. And if we want to zoom out, as we say, a bit further into the future and look into product categories that are a bit more complex in terms of the packaging requirements, we, we will then move to the chilled section of the supermarket, right? This is where you have fresh produce that is chilled. And there, in the future, you can find sliced cheese or sliced ham or convenience food in a tray. Today, these categories already have uh, quite a high degree of standardization, so they're kind of like rectangular trays. The packaging is not really recycled because it's multi-layer and there are lots of volumes of it. A lot of people buy a lot of cheese. And here, they uh, eat it very quickly and can return it very quickly. So this category we call the holy grail. This is where we need to get to down the road because this is where the volume relies and this is where high re quick return rates are. But what those fast-turning categories do is that you can get to uh, break-even faster, basically. It's about volumes and return rates. But in terms of product complexity, it is more difficult because there is a more difficult microbiology, there is a chill supply chain, etc. So this comes a bit later. Mm -hmm. Do you see a special opportunity for reusable packaging in online grocery shopping because people don't have to actually carry the groceries it does, so weight doesn't really matter to, to them <laughs> as much yep. and the giving back of the modules would be so much more easy yes for sure and uh, this is where uh, some of the pilots have started for example loop right and it, it is one of the requirements it needs to also work for e-commerce we are starting with a supermarket because it, it's a much bigger volume. The percentage of sales in food e-commerce has been slow to pick up in Germany. It has uh, definitely changed during Corona, but it's still a small section of it. And there are also some issues if you design for e-commerce only, so it, it remains a niche, which is in some cases fine. But if you are after scale, after efficiency, after really making an impact, then it is a different story. And What happens there is actually uh, there isn't also a barrier to return and that is pickup. You have to be at home when uh, the pickup comes and it's also a barrier to return. So down the line, this packaging and the systems have to work both online and in brick and mortar, as you would say in English. Right? Our starting point and our focus is with brick and mortar, however. It's so exciting because this is actually a system which has been implemented before, large scale, it's working very well, and now it's the next step to yes. increase the diversity of yes. the areas in which it is being used, let's say from a company perspective. What are the categories that make sense to put into reuse into this sort of system first? Yeah, there are a couple of classical entry points. The first classical entry point is drinks because they rotate fast, they're easy to wash, they, they lend themselves to standardization. So this is what we already have in the country. Another classical entry point would be dry products, things like lentils and rice and beans and also pasta. The product requirements there 
are easier to do. Then you can look into categories that are also dry but have particular product requirements. For example, some maybe some migration, arrow migration, which is what coffee could have, right? The next stage in complexity would be wet, unchilled products, uh, sugary stuff, for example, jams, honey. So it, it's already harder because there you have an issue with food waste. So the packaging has to be designed so that it is optimized for food waste. So you can scoop it out well. There is sugar left, but not too much fat. And snacks, so dried nuts and dried uh, fruit is also a, a very interesting category for entry. And even before going into the, into the sugary wet uh, products. And afterwards, it increases in complexity when you move into chilled. Those are uh, products such as sliced cheese, sliced ham in a thin tray or uh, products such as fresh meat or convenience foods in a thick tray. And this is one way to look at complexity. Another way to look at complexity are how industrially they're packed. So you have a bunch of product categories that have an easier packaging requirements because they often have shorter expiry dates. So for example, you know, if you buy a, a tray of sushi, it's not sealed. It doesn't have a vacuum. Most of the times it's, it's, it's fresh for a couple of days. And so it's, it's also an easier packaging requirement. If you then move into chilled again or with longer expiry dates, with uh, larger logistics behind them, largest volumes behind them, their complexity increases. What is uh, hard to do in reuse are products that have irregular shape. Here in Europe, we have a lot of cheeses. <laughs> if the cheese is not sliced, but if you buy it in, like, you know, in a big piece, they come in all kinds of shapes and forms, right? So it is then, you, you will need to standardize Casero de Pro. Or if you buy for Christmas uh, a big turkey, and those turkeys, like a whole turkey, and those turkeys also, they come in different, it's a natural product, right? That's also, of course, harder to do. And also, probably just not needed. No? There, it's better to work with really with only recyclable package. Let's say, looking rather far into the future, we were beforehand talking about the value of doing reuse when it makes sense. Yes. Now, I know this will be a very rough estimate, but mm -hmm. looking at a classical supermarket, what percentage of goods could be put into reusable containers and make sense okay let me maybe first give a couple of bullet points on what makes sense mean so when does reuse make sense there are a bunch of ways to look at it and one of the data points again that we have or a pool of data there have been a bunch of studies done and they have estimated in which cases does buying water in a a heavier glass bottle make more environmental sense than buying uh, water in a recyclable plastic packaging, right? So based on this analysis, what comes out is something that, that we call eco-radius. What eco-radius means is that reusable packaging makes sense in a certain um, radius, in a certain region. And this radius very much depends on the product. It depends on uh, how the production is set up and so on and so forth. But today in water, it is about 100 to 300 kilometers. So that means that you know, if you're here in Berlin 
And if you want to make a more ecologically conscious choice on buying water, you would be well advised to buy uh, water such as Spreequelle. It comes from a source around the city. If you are buying a Vian, which is uh, transported from France, please do buy it in a recyclable plastic bottle, right? Because mm. it does not make so much sense transporting heavy glass bottles from France, from Italy, from Spain, or, or from southern Germany to Berlin. Now, this echo radius will depend on many factors. It will vary from category to category, and it will also expand with time because packaging weight is becoming less and less. There, are, there is a lot of innovation around light materials. And also, perhaps even more importantly, there is obviously improvements in transportation, right? So the, the less impact you have in transportation, the bigger is this rate. So this is one way to look at what, what at when reusable packaging makes sense. What that means in uh, practice is that there is a very big case for originalization. So you need to build a pilot in a region and build infrastructure in that region, and infrastructure around retail, around washing, etc., and so on, before then moving to another region. Now, look, the share of reusable packaging will, again, vary from category to category. To give you some examples, in beer today, it is around 80%, very high. So because a lot of beer is just sold in glass bottles. In water, it is around 40%. In yogurts, it's much, much smaller. So it will be around below five. There is not so much good data, unfortunately. This percentage depends on the product category. So how easy it is to do, right? Like how easy it is to wash, how fast they return, etc. Okay. How will a reusable system affect the cost for consumers? Yeah, down the line, when we again uh, zoom out into the future and when we achieve large volumes, reusable packaging can actually become pretty uh, efficient. This is what uh, the current system, the existing system suggests. But basically, if you look at the market, there is a price premium of around 15, 20, 30 cents on a product that is sold in reusable packaging. And uh, oftentimes those products also have other USPs such as being organic, etc. The What we call circular costs, the costs that the retailers and the distributors and the washing costs are somewhere in that area. So that's something that can be priced in. However, it is still a very long journey. Here again, it's uh, all about volume. And to get to that level of economies of scale, to that level of efficiencies, we need to invest uh, quite a lot and to drive volume by opening the system to more products and to engaging more and more consumers. In the beginning, the pilot in the piloting stage, reusable packaging is more expensive. There are many reasons. So first of all, the reusable packaging is more expensive than single-use alternatives, but that's something one can work with if you design a system where reusable packaging is returned a sufficient number of times, so it has a, a long life then you, you, you can actually break even. What is harder is a circular cost. In the beginning, there is a lot of investment in logistics, in building new washing streets, in, in manual power also at retailers and distributors and so on and so forth. In the beginning, what will need to happen is that industry will need to subsidize, basically, because all of that premium cannot be passed to consumers, right? it will kill it, basically, and the consumers will not buy in and it wouldn't be fair, right? The industry really has to 
invest because they will also down the line benefits uh, through it and they will grow. So to them, it's also a clear business case. What also is important is finding creative ways of tackling the price issues. Because at the moment, what we see today in the sustainability scene is that sustainability products often still do tend to have a price premium, right? That is no longer the case for all products, but a lot of the other quality products have a price premium and it is also justified because they have higher quality, a lot more work goes in them. But at the same time, we don't want those sustainable alternatives and products in, in reusable packaging, which often you know, combine in one product, to be an exclusive kind of offering. Right? That's important not only ethically, but also, again, to cross the chasm and to attract large numbers of consumers, masses consumers down the line. So there, in the beginning, I think what we can work with are creative solutions, such as packaging in bulk. It's a very easy, actually, approach. It's, it's been in the industry for a long time. It just, it's, you, know, you, you can still see it if you go to an Indian store, if you go to an Arabic store. Uh, here in Berlin, you can buy rice, for example, in big packs. Right? And what that does, if you buy a, a larger volume, you pay less uh, per weight per kilo. So that would be one approach to tackle the price issue early on through design, through product design, basically. And... Last but not least, again, at some point, political will also need to come in because they can help in order to reach that uh, level playing field and in order to make reuse more competitive on the line. So those are the four bullet points I would like to give you to the answer to the question on price. Yeah. If you would have 50 million, what business would you invest in or what businesses, what developments, if you wouldn't be able to obviously invest it in circulation? What I'm really excited about, personally, investment opportunities around projects, around communal living and new approaches to using land. So things like uh, food forests and carbon neutral agriculture and rewilding. I think there are lots of things uh, happening. There are a lot of very exciting developments happening in this space. And I'm observing it, of course, from afar. And I found this combination between communal living and new use of land very powerful. And I think it, it could uh, give very powerful answers to pressing issues, right? Like in remote areas today in Europe, also giving new answers to climate change and so on. So if I have 50 million at some point, <laughs> that would be one place I would look to for investment. Uh, what upcoming packaging innovations or trends will be especially important for yeah. the food industry? Today, the industry is all about recycling, recycling, recycling. And we by now understand that it is not uh, the only solution. It can't be the only solution. But I do want to say it is a very, very important lever. So, And there seems to be... Uh, very interesting developments happening at the chemical level, which would allow us to optimize the current recycling system today, where a lot of plastic waste, uh, plastic packaging is collected, but then ends up in internal treatment or is being sold to Asia, right? So in the future, I think through those uh, developments, we will be able, through recycling, develop packaging again. Light materials, another very important area, especially for us, for reuse. For example, borosilicate glass, a very interesting material, hopefully also more and more affordable down the line. And smart packaging. You know, smart packaging is quite interesting because I think it has been a buzzword for many years, if not more than a decade. But I feel it is 
by now coming to a stage where it can be scaled. So that will, I think, make a very big difference. It will allow, again, the system of reusable packaging to become more and more efficient with time. Hmm. What is described by smart packaging? That's actually a good follow-up question because smart packaging can mean a, a ton of different things, of course, right? So there is, a, there is innovation around interesting labels that change time, but a lot of them are kind of marketing gimmicks. What I meant more is a technology that uh, would allow to track and trace packaging and so improve efficiency in logistics while keeping the data privacy holy. That is very important. I think it's anywhere in the world, but especially in Germany. You know, humans are already tracked and traced by phones and the smart system that we need to build shouldn't allow packaging to trace humans in addition. So the smart technologies, so unique identifiers that help you track and trace when the packaging is returned, for example, that uh, helps you to automate the system, etc. And I'm sure that some listeners would know startups such as Cup Club in London. They have developed uh, a system for coffee-to-go cups that is smart. There are some issues around it, again, because it makes it harder to recycle, especially if you use chips. So this needs to be solved because it doesn't really make too much sense to develop reusable packaging that is not designed for end-of-life recycling. But there should be also technical ways around it, I trust. But for us, it's also something that will come down the line. So. What are magazines, books, or other resources that you would recommend? One uh, book that I would really like to recommend wholeheartedly, because it was really very powerful to me as I started in this sustainability journey, is The Bet and Our Gamble on Earth uh, by a guy called Paul Sabin. It's a, a book that looks back in history, in, especially in America, at the environmental movement and how it started and back in the uh, 60s and 70s when there was actually a consensus between the different parts of the American society and how at some point this debate became very politicized and it, it was framed as a debate between uh, science and business and it was framed as a trade-off. And I think to me it was very interesting because I think right now we are at a point where there is no longer a trade-off between doing business in an environmental way, building environmental packaging, and profitability. It, I, I, sustainability has become an opportunity of growth. It is all the solutions are there, they're ready to scale. So that, in a way, that, that book was a revelation, looking back in history, that helped me understand where we stand today. Another uh, book that I'm sure a lot of people know is The Sixth Extinction. It was also very interesting to read about. Do you know it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of it. It's really awesome because it, it talks about the previous extinctions uh, that happened in the history of the Earth and uh, how this extinction is different because it is caused by humans and not by a meteorite that falls out of sky and kills the dinosaurs. Right? So that was very beautifully uh, written book and very well researched book by Elizabeth Colbert. And uh, for the nerds in reusable packaging, you know, a source that doesn't need a recommendation really is the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. So they, they do excellent work. The publications are so powerful and strong and inspiring. As I started diving into the circular economy, that was really a source of inspiration.
Wonderful. Is there any way that listeners can reach out to you or support you? Yes. Please write to us. You can write to us uh, at an email partner at circolution.com. I will spell circolution. It's C-I-R-C-O-L-U-T-I-O-N.com. So circolution. This only works if you do it together. If you are an industry partner, we can look into when and how uh, cooperation might be possible. If you're a consumer, we can involve you in a co-creation exercise at some point down the line. Yeah, and spread the word and uh, join the circle. Nice. Thank you for being on Red to Green. That was lovely. Thank you so much, Marina. If you like Red to Green, remember to subscribe and share it with your colleagues or friends who could be interested. To volunteer in industry research, marketing or writing articles, check out redtogreen.solutions. There you will also find resources mentioned in the episodes. Let's move the food industry from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green.